0: Hello and welcome to Yagmoth Soap Opera, episode 31, the Classic League Bonanza. I'm Andy, and I'm joined by regular co-host Zach. Unfortunately, George isn't with us this week. He's having fun at um, Pro Tour Philly, checking out the uh, modern scene, uh, because he loves that format so much. Uh, We'd like to thank PureMTGO.com for hosting us, and MTGOTraders.com for sponsoring us. Uh, Packed agenda again this week, guys. We're going to be having a look at the Player Run League by MMOG, uh, having a look at some of the decks that are doing well in the event. ...and uh, pulling out some deck techs for you, going over four decks that have caught our eye this week. We're then going to be having a look at how, uh, how Zach's been doing in the league, and uh, he's got some videos up in the forum, so I encourage you to click on, the, click on the article and jump on in and watch those videos. We'll be talking about the, the latest mechanism from Innistrad, and we'll be looking at some uh, new tech from a card spoiled in, in the new upcoming set... So let's crack on and uh, jump in and have a look at what's been happening in season two of the Classic League. Um, so, Zach, um, you've been playing in the league this time. I, I haven't. Uh, seems like a pretty diverse meta game from the the breakdown report in M. Uh, Mog's recent article. Do you want to
1: talk us through this chart? Yeah, definitely. Um, it really is a diverse meta game. Sadly, you know, my experience hasn't met it, mirrored the uh, super diverse meta game. But let's take a look at it anyway. Uh, It looks like there's uh, Oath, Fish, and Shops are taking the majority of the chunks with, uh, or excuse me, yeah, Oath, Fish, and Shops and Dredge and LED Storm are right behind them, uh, coming in close. Blue Control is also a fat chunk, and the two small ones are, uh, Rogue Aggro and Dark Times. So, if you look at it, the evenly split ones are Fish with Seven uh blue control with seven and shops also have seven now these are pretty diverse decks so it's kind of it's kind of pigeonholing them to call them you know a, a certain type i mean even shops have different types with the slash panthers and the metal workers and more creature oriented etc cetera, etc cetera. but they're all shop, shops at their core same with blue control i mean you're gonna have some gush decks some uh just some general blue utility decks, decks that are meant to fight the metagame. And uh, lastly, we had uh, it's yeah, dark times. So yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a varied metagame. The other ones are coming in at five, five, four, two, and one. So the pie is definitely made up of uh, a bunch of different pieces. Any of this standing out to you, buddy?
0: Well, I'm I'm just really impressed at how the environment seems to be kind of shaping up at the moment, and this really has gone through an an evolutionary step. Um, We're we're now seeing creatures uh, having a really important part to play in the environment, with with fish really rising up, and what what I've been surprised at is the the evolution of the the shop decks um, um, post-New uh, the, the card that went under the radar for a while Slash Panther really has started to transform the makeup of, of the shop ar- archetype. If you look through the, the lists, which are all beautifully laid out in um, MMOG's Classic League 2 Season article, um, hosted on Pure MTGO, if you're interested in having a look there's a link in our article to it um, but if you have a look through those shop lists there's hardly any metal workers, I think there was one metal worker um, across the seven deck lists um, and something ridiculous like 26 uh, Slash Panthers and um, I, I really like the fact that there is still people willing to try and innovate within the format. Um, there were, a few few months ago. There was a lot of discussion that the format was stale, that it was broken, that that fair Dex couldn't compete with the uh, Term one Otha of Druids off of a Lotus Petal, or they couldn't compete with the Term one um, Bazaar Baghdad. Well, they couldn't compete with the, trinket, uh, with the, with the Tinker into blight steel, and, and those myths are all being debunked at the moment, and, and people are bringing new decks to the fray. Um, and one example of that is the, um, the Helmline deck, which we'll get onto in our, in our Deck Tech Breakout section below. Um, before we get down and have a look at four decks, which have caught our eye as being slightly unusual or slightly innovative, um we should have a look at how the, how the metagame has shifted um, from Season 1 of the League to Season 2. And this, this chart was put together by MMOG again in his article. And um, we, we've borrowed it and referenced it for uh, being able to show you guys. So you'll see that Oath is um, slightly underrepresented. And that, that parallels with what we've seen from the daily events recently. And um, I think it was Wiffy that mentioned last week that, that Oath is slightly off the radar, um, which is um, perhaps a little unusual when you consider the, the rising prevalence of um, uh, creature based decks um, Which make the triggering of the oath um, A lot more viable early on Without the need for an orchard um, The downside I guess is that A lot of these fish decks um, Are packing the hate bears Specifically to go after the, the Artifact um, and enchantments That are prevalent in the environment um, We're seeing an upsurge in fish And uh, shop and blue base control Are pretty much staying the same um, Dredge got a recent surge And that could be as a result of Um Dredge deck winning the, the Vintage Champs. And um, LED Storm, um, an expensive deck normally with Lion's Eye Diamond, um, has also seen a sharp uh, increase um, with four people playing, playing it in, in the league this time round. Um, so we're not going to look at which decks have been doing well in the league. Um, I expect we'll do that next week once um, more games have been played. I think we're into round four now, is that right, Zach? Uh,
1: yeah, I think we're just finishing up round four. Um.
0: Cool, cool. So, um, we, we've pulled out four decks for you, and uh, we're going to take two of them each, and uh, Zach, you're going to lead us in, I think, by having a look at this uh, Glow Glowrider deck.
1: Yeah, so one of the newcomers on the scene, uh, Animosity, M-O-T-L, has been really, I guess, championing, championing this deck, and this deck is a green-white hate bear deck. I mean, that's really what it is. It's all, you know, 2 X ex-creatures, and... It's kind of interesting in the way it functions, because two of the decks we were just talking about, Shops and Oath, are attacked so vehemently by this deck, it's not even funny. Uh, eight main deck super hate cards and Kasali Pride Mage and Lean-In Relic Warder. Not to mention, for Shops specifically, he has Kataki Wars Rage, which are no joke. And he's running stuff like Path to Exile, which really kind of preys on the other creature decks in the format. As far as his lands package, he's running just a lot of Denial. You know, he, Some of the creatures that he's popping out are like Elvish Spirit Guides, which ramp him in mana, along with three Lotus Petals. And that, in some ways, is to, number one, power out stuff quicker than it should be powered out. Like, uh, for example, the Aven Mind Sensor is ridiculous against a lot of the blue decks in the format. But all the land destruction in this deck is ridiculous. He is running eight main deck uh land destruction with one strip mine, three wasteland, four GQs, the ghost quarters um, he's also running a card that you know for the deck that I've been running and I've been talking about lately, really just is the bane of its existence, which is Caracas um, in response to a show and tell in response to an oath. Uh, a lot of the creatures that are coming out are legendary, mostly emerkel is what it screws with the most in my opinion, but it it's a strong card. And uh, all these cards have their own function. I mean, Gaddock Teague, <laughs> shutting off stuff, and Teserator and stuff like Gush, is pretty good. So that that kind of stuff, Thorn Canonist stops the storm decks. Glowrider does like a pseudo stacks impersonation, and you know the sideboard. It, it's really there to mess with the decks that you might have a little more need to. Uh, put the clamps down on like Four Nature's Claims for Oath and uh, probably for for the shop decks as well I'm not very sure but Wheel of Sun and Moon for Dredge Relic of Progenitus for Dredge and I would say Mental Misstep which has been a key player in all my matchups with Dredge so I like this deck a lot well what do you think about it Andy?
0: Well, I'm, I'm normally a type of uh, classic player who enjoys playing the, the power decks and, and doing broken things, and very seldom do I sit on the other side and try and disrupt that package of brokenness. I've tried playing Sharp with his disruptive effects, and I, I, I just don't like that kind of style of play. But this kind of deck does appeal to me, and I think I naively assumed it would be a, an easy deck to pilot. You lay if you land, you slap out a creature, you disrupt your opponent, and then you, uh, you beat down when you actually start to play with a deck like this you realize that the decision trees are are quite uh, quite intense and making the right play and making that tight play that's going to really disrupt your opponent is absolutely critical because the format is so powerful and so busted if you don't get the right creature down at the right time or if you don't attack their mana when you should be um there's a good opportunity that your opponent is just going to simply untap and do something completely broken that you can't touch so when when you're Shuffling up a deck like this and you out open seven cards You've really got to have a, a clear idea of what your opponent is going to try and do And understand which of your cards are best positioned to come down and attack that game plan And sometimes the, the turn one play might be just to sit, sit there and, and wasteland their, their only land Or it might be to kind of, as, as um, Zach said, uh, pitch uh, an Elvish Spirit Guide onto the table and, and slam down an early creature So... I think th- I think this is um, a deck which is, as Zach said, set up to really attack the the kind of historical pillars of the format, and it will be very interesting to see how it competes as as the environment shifts and we start to see bigger beaters which aren't so concerned about the disruptive packages that these creatures bring to the table. Um, and again, the the sideboard looks looks pretty solid. Um, he appears to know that his biggest threat is is dredge and. Uh, is prepared to, to kind of pack the, pack the hate for that, and um, I, I think this is a solid deck, and I think other people will start to pick it up, and it's obviously had a lot of thought with the with the Caracas there. Zach, wasn't, wasn't it a game against you that forced him to kind of consider Caracas and bring it into the
1: list? Yeah, we, uh, we tested a lot when I was first really starting to play with the uh, Shoth build that I've, I've been piloting, and... He uh he kept losing to Emrakul and he we we kept talking about it and he's like, God, I don't know what to do and one day he showed up with Caracas and kept bouncing it and it was like the worst thing ever. It was like Jace but better than Jace. I everyone knows my disdain for Jace, but you can kill that with a dragon's breath eventually. You can't do anything against the Caracas except, you know, pithing needle, as you guys say, or uh <laughs> Beast Within. So the, the other thing to keep in mind, though, with Karakas is I think it allowed him to be a little bit more exploratory with running more Legends, because you'll notice he runs six main deck, and three of each of Gaddick Teague and Kentucky War's Rage, and bouncing those back to your hand could be a pretty big deal, especially if you're playing against, like, Oath, and you want to have something down for a, a defense, and then you pop it up before your his turn, um...
0: Save Absolutely, it. that's that's a really neat little trick that I had kind of glossed over
1: there. I hadn't really kind of given that
0: consideration <laughs> to, uh, to target in your own Legends. So, yeah, cool.
1: And, you know, the last thing I'll say is one of the things you touched on is really kind of how I feel about it as well. Um, this deck, people will underestimate it and think, oh, it's an easy deck to pilot. It does take a lot of tight play. But the one thing this deck does not have going for it that, let me look here, that one does... That one kind of does, and that one for sure does. Most decks in the classic format have turn one plays that are critical and can put you in charge of the game. You know, just for example, a couple that I think off the top of my head are some of these ridiculous turn one plays, like turn one, land, soul ring, lotus petal, time vault, and voltaic key. Or turn one, land Soul Ring, Lotus Petal, Tinker, Sacrifice, Soul Ring, get an 11-11 Infect into play. This deck does not do that, so it all is dependent on type play.
0: Absolutely. Well, we'll move on to the the next deck that we wanted to show you this week, and uh, again from the League, and it's the pilot is uh, Goat314. And to understand the evolution of this deck, we need to kind of look back at the recent wow. Vintage Champs. And Stephen Menendian... Um, uh, very very strong uh, vintage player previous uh, champs winner himself um, sat down with a couple of uh, guys and started to brew around the idea of having um, Gush uh, in a deck with, with Dark Confidant and this hadn't really been done successfully before people just assumed that Running Dark Confidant with Light Steel Colossus, uh, running Dark Confidant with Force of Will, and running Dark Confidant with Gush, all in the same package was just a recipe for suicide, especially when you were relying on Fastbond to smash loads of lands into play and take a point of damage for every additional land played. But the uh, the team got together, and they, they put a deck together that worked, and um, ended up making top eight of, uh, of Vintage Champs, and... Uh, proved for the first time that it was possible to combine these components those of you that have listened to the podcast over the, the last months will know that I'm a big fan of Gush. So any time a Gush list um, comes up in Classic, I, I like to have a look at it. Uh, but this is really just a straight port of that, that vintage deck. So the idea is to try and land a, a quick Dark Confidant, build up um, some, some advantage. But ultimately, you're going to win the game most of the time by comboing out through Gush, Fast Bond, and casting Yagmos Will into a game-winning Tendrils of Agony. Um, the other option is to just be down with um, Vendilion Clicks and Dark Confidants and try and get the job done that way, or by um, tinkering into uh, Blightsteel Colossus. The deck also greedily packs in the Time Vault Voltaic Key Combo, um, which Menendian didn't pilot in, in the Vintage game. Um, the biggest difference, I guess, from the Vintage deck is that the Classic deck has cut um, the... Um, I, 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 I forgot the name of it Trigon Predator um, from the deck and I don't know if that's as a result of a downturn in shop but this deck list does look weak to shop and even from the sideboard there's not a huge amount of, of hate coming in so could be could be signs that shop isn't as um, dominant as it once was or that much of a problem and is enabling uh, enabling the gush decks to kind of power through now
1: yeah, definitely You know, you can you can kind of see that back and forth Every time one of these decks gets a little weaker Whatever the antithesis of that is Usually gets a little bit stronger <laughs> Yeah, absolutely um, So, talking of shop And uh, we'll, we'll lead into
0: the next deck, Zach
1: Yeah, and the next deck is a uh, Slash Panther shop list And it's, you know, kind of like the uh, The next line in the shop innovation That Andy was referencing earlier And this one was piloted by NCSU31SB And, um, yeah, this list is just, you know, chock full of ridiculous tempo plays. Um, it runs the patented, uh, 13 sphere. Actually, it really runs 16 spheres if you count the Phyrexian Metamorphs. Um, but yeah, four Thorn of Amethyst, four Sphere of Resistance, one Trenosphere, and, uh, four of the, where is he? Lodestone Golem, there he is. Okay. (laughs) And then three Fire XA Metamorphs. So yeah, it's 16 total sphere effects if you want to consider the Metamorphs copying either the Golem or the other spheres. And that package in itself is really good. But what these decks have been doing is they've been packing in a one mana to one power ratio beat stick. It's basically a four mana, four two. You take two life off it, but that is so negligible it doesn't even matter. Um not to mention Phyrexian metamorph if you have one in play it's a three-mana version of the same dang thing with the same drawback and the same advantages um, this deck is just super powerful it plays chalice of the void on top of the trenosphere so the disruption is just rampant it obviously wants to mulligan to uh, mishra's workshop every game but this one's also running four mishra's factories which i kind of find refreshing it's uh, extra beat and you can't ever have enough beat but This guy's also playing some some random singletons here with the Steel steel Hellkite worm Coil Engine and uh, the Precursor, the singleton, which I actually like the Precursor the most out of those cards, because in Classic there's not a ton of removal. And it just seems good. You know, 9 power for 5 mana is pretty decent.
0: I always love it when there's a precursor golem in play with a lodestone golem, and uh, your opponent hits it with the lightning bolt and kills all the golems.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that that is ridiculous. And lightning bolt's, you know, a great card, but it's just still not one of the cards you see a lot of. Um, yeah, but it's 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 funny when they realize they're losing their lodestone golems as well. Yeah, and it's it's not just you know I'll, I'll say this I'm I'm probably overselling the card because there are tons of artifact removals: ancient grudge, nature's claim. Uh, all that kind of stuff. The only stuff that doesn't copy is like triggered effects, like Trigon Predator. So the other thing, though, to keep to consider is that card makes Metamorph better too. You know, you get nine times two, and this time you get for three mana, you get nine power a creature. It, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, the deck is just, you know, it's it's the next line in in artifact beats. That's you know, it's outside of the. Um, Slash Panthers and the Phyrexian Metamorphs. Most of it's just the same punishing engine that it usually is. This one packs, you know, the Crucible of War worlds. This guy also fits in a Mox Opal, which is kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, it's it looks like a good deck. I'm
0: I'm loving the Jester's Cap in the sideboard here. I just think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, Jester's Cap can be a pretty good card. Um, It can completely neuter some decks, like some of those Storm decks. But, you know, to be honest, Storm I don't think is the big problem. What, Oath would probably be the biggest?
0: Yeah, I mean, it rips out the kill kill condition from the Oath deck by just removing their three Oath targets.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Seems pretty legitimate to me. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, the next deck that that caught my eye um, was a a very... uh, Interesting little brew from a guy that I've not seen in and around classic for a long time um, His name is Ilskin and um, a very talented pilot um, from what I recall But he's brewed up a deck here, which is um, Helm of Obedience and Leyline of the Void So the combo has been around for eons um, the idea is that Leyline of the Void means that the cards don't go to the graveyard So that when you trigger Helm of Obedience um, You basically just end up milling and winning the game but, um, coupled with this package uh, is some really nice interactive creature beatdown. Um, we've got the, the Bloodcasts, um, which are recursion, and every time you lay a land, uh, you bring it back from the graveyard. And there are multiple ways of sacrificing that to, to gain the incremental advantage. One of them is skull clamp, so Skullclamp in the Bloodcast, sending the Bloodcast to the graveyard, playing a land, bringing it back and reclamping it is generating a huge amount of card advantage and it's cycling through your deck to get to these combo pieces to try and win as well. Um, a couple of Dark Confidant, again, to draw cards and give you advantage. Um, a random Katagi's war ra- War's Wage. Um, and then we've got three cards, three, co- well, co- three copies of one card which I don't remember seeing in Classic before, and that's Stronghold Assassin. Uh, so this is a little creature guy that enables you to sacrifice a creature to destroy another one. And um, with the recursion of the Bloodghast again, Um, There's a lot of synergy there, lots of interaction, great stuff Um, Coupled with the deck is also a disruptive package uh, Managing to squeeze in 4 Thoughtseize To try and disrupt some of the combo decks or to try and prevent um, some complete brokenness from From some of the the gush decks and then we've got um, smallpox as well Which seems highly relevant in a metagame which is shifting more towards um, fish based decks um, Stripping out a creature, a land, and a card from their hand uh, Seems pretty solid to me And uh, we've got the ever-present uh, Necropotence With the four Dark Rituals to power it out And go go busted on turn one um, So I love this deck um, The fact that it's running Leyline of the Void main Gives it some, some great action in game one against Dredge Which decks often lack And the uh, sideboard's pretty spicy too Running uh, one of Zach's favorite cards for Classic Which is Balance And again, that seems... Um, extremely legitimate in a format which is shifting towards uh, having creatures to fight with but he's also bringing in diabolical edicts as well um, the final card worthy of note in the sideboard is the three Serentis, um again for the shop matchup so I think this is a pretty well thought out deck there's lots of interesting synergies and interactions and at the heart of it it's uh, a combo deck which can go busted and go broken very quickly so uh, that's, that's all I have to say but
1: I think it's pretty cool yeah, definitely, it's a cool deck, and I hate it. But it runs Caracas too. I just this card has so. This deck has so many things that my deck doesn't want to see, like Caracas, Smallpox. Uh, you know, the Sacrament doesn't scare me as much because I have four of almost everything. But uh, Leyline Helm of Obedience is pretty wicked. The Skullclamp Budblast is just ridiculous card advantage. Not to mention. Uh, the one thing that I'll say is you just said a creature, the one drawback to Stronghold is it has to be non-black but um, it does kill Emerald, so that is pretty scary too
0: yeah, absolutely um, and, but when you look at the, the the creature targets in the format at the moment the non-black is, is fairly negligible
1: yeah, definitely, the only big card it doesn't kill is uh, Dark Confidant
0: yeah, definitely So, uh, you've been playing in these events, Zach, um,
1: and you've been running your Shoth deck. How's that been working out for you? Well, it's been pretty good. Um, I played my first two last week, and I ended last week at 2-0. Round three, I got matched up with uh, the Magic Man 22, and really, I was super excited about the matchup, because it's goblins, and it's way too fair to be a linear deck, like, you know, ridiculous, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's just crazy. You get a 15-15 in the play, good luck with goblins. But, as fate would have it, I um, I was blessed with a mulligan to four in game one, and a mulligan to four in game three.
0: Ah, uh, um, just rough, buddy.
1: Yeah, I mean, to, to top it off, though, the, the really sad part is, if you watch three, in game three... <laughs> I, had, I, I like, brainstormed into the perfect brainstorm. End of his turn, or, excuse me, I, I don't know exactly when I brainstormed, you're going to have to watch it to, to check, but I brainstormed into Channel and Emrakul, and I was getting ready to go off. And only thing he could have played, he also mulliganed to four, strangely enough, the only thing he could play to stop me was Thorn of Amethyst, and he played Thorn of Amethyst. And it, was, it was just brutal. But um round 4 I got to play uh another really talented clanmate uh the Wild Dog a guy who's 4-0'd a bunch of events he's really a good player and uh he was playing almost the exact same deck as Backgoods I mean it might be the exact same deck it was so familiar and similar but he's a super solid player I think he and Backgoods played the round before this and um yeah, the, I got to be honest. If you're going to watch any games this week, these are the games <laughs> to watch because these were epic. Game one, um, I tried to race him. I mulled to six, and he he just he's dredged. I mean, he got a bizarre, and then he got another bizarre. I was like, "What are you going to do?" Um, game two was wicked sick. It was one of those hands where if you watch it, I, I I had my mouse button on the yes from Mulligan, and I was sitting there saying, "Yeah, I can't take this because it doesn't have a ley line. And then I'm like, "You know what?" I might be able to race him, and I played the uh i had a mystical a mystical and a emercle and uh also a mental misstep just in case he had any tricks like a noxious revival. I think I had a misstep too and uh I did a turn two channel bam, and uh it was just enough he got to dredge his bizarre once, and it was the scariest dredge i've ever seen you'll you 'll see in in game two there it was like he clicked Bizarre, and the first card was Icarid. I'm like, oh, that's bad. The second card was Bloodghast. And I'm like, oh, that's worse! And then the third card was Bridge From Below. If it was any Dredger, he would have won that game. But he got me, he hit me, I was at one life, and I won with the second Emrakul hit. Um, so, game three, it was just as epic. I mean, you, you've got to watch these games. Game three was awesome. I got two uh, Leyline of the Voids out. And a oath of druids, and I had force of will back up and it was still nail-bitingly close. I won game three at one life as well, so I won games two and three at one life, and it was just really cool round. So, fun, fun league so far. A big hat tip to M Mog, and I hope you guys like the games. Um, all the opponents have been awesome so far. Cool. Oh, I'm glad
0: you're, uh, you're sitting three and one. I hope you can can bust into the top eight. That would be good good for you and great stuff. Um, yeah so uh... finishing on one life uh... sounds bad but when you consider that a fifteen of that was probably self inflicted you can't really complain Yeah. Um, so um, what we're gonna have a quick look at now is um, a new mechanism that's been uh, introduced in Innistrad and i don't want to spend too much time on looking at individual cards but i thought it might be neat just to talk about what the mechanism is and what the impact is going to have on, on magic um, difficult at this stage to say whether it's going to have any impact on, on classic but if you've not um, been having a look at any of the spoilers or you don't want to know anything about the new mechanisms you might want to fast forward for a few minutes. Uh, Innistrad have um, the cards have been previewed and one of the new mechanisms um, is is, a car, um, is double backed cards um, so they have um, a magic um, card on the front and a magic card on the back without the traditional um, Reverse side, and basically you play the card one way round, and then you can fulfil certain criteria to transform the card to flip it over and have it have a, a completely different card on the other side, having an effect on the game. Um, so, Zach, what what do you think to this? Is it uh, a bit of a gimmick? Is it uh, a cool way to advance uh, Magic cards?
1: Yeah, um, I gotta say man You know, a lot of people are like Oh, this is cool, it worked really well in this game Or that game But to me It feels so gimmicky, it's not even funny They have so many ways they could have done this They could have done split cards like Apocalypse I know it's not the same thing But you can you tell me possibly Why they couldn't do The flip cards like the Kawagama block I mean, honestly They could change the rules of that a little bit to a company for whatever they're trying to do with this. I mean, to make it so everybody playing limited, I'm not affected by it. I play online, and it's not going to affect me. Because the card, you know, it'll be programmed right in, and it will be seamless. I don't have to do anything extra. But if I played in real life, this would aggravate me so much. Because to have to sleeve up your, your deck, or to play with whatever the the check card is, not to mention, you know, I'm a limited enthusiast, and when I'm sitting there playing limited, and if it was in person, and I looked at me, and we're all picking cards, and the guy, I look to my side, and the guy is sitting there with a card, writing something on the card, I know he's in that freaking archetype, that's not a fair, you know, it's it's not fair, It's it's, it's a little bit ridiculous, so... I'm not a big fan. I understand it's something that might be cool. I mean, George was talking to me the other day in Klein about, wow, you know, this is a neat way to get a 13 13 into play. And some people like it. I'm just, you know, as per usual with me, since I'm such a negative Nancy, I'm not a big fan.
0: So when when you're drafting in real life, will you be able to. You, presumably you'll see the reverse side of the card that your opponent's got in the table across from you. Oh, exactly. It's not. You know, so- so there's a big telegraph there, isn't there, of uh, what's being drafted, and that's going to have a big impact. It's going to make the the paper format very different, I guess, from from the Magic Online drafting environment.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a big uh, it's a big crutch for the less experienced drafter, or for the guy who's not as uh, what do I want to say for the guy who's not as uh, straightforward as you should be and somebody who's looking for every advantage they can get
0: yeah definitely well i'm not sure that that's going to have any relevance to classic but um it is magic related news which uh is probably worth discussing um so next up um while we're, we're keeping on the the innistrad bandwagon um zach you spotted a little beauty in a in a trailer a video to yeah. talk us through that what it does and uh
1: maybe we can gush about it a bit. Yeah, that's funny you should say gush. Um, you know, one of the things about me is you'll never hear me, and all the time we've talked about previews, I'll say, oh, I think this card will be the best in the set, or this or that. You'll never hear me just gush about a preview card and say, wow, this thing, I can't wait for it to come out. I wouldn't even like that when Jace, my favorite current card, came out. But I'll tell you right now, this card is so classic playable, it's not even funny. Um, I was watching Pro Tour coverage of Philly just to see what they were doing. And they're like, oh, here's five preview cards. So, you know, I click it and I check it out. First card is innocuous enough. It's a two and a black something. A two-two that gets counters for something. Just blah. The second one, I could not, I, I like paused the video and rewind it rewound it because I couldn't believe it. Um, I might be off with the name because I don't have the video up in front of me, but what I wrote in the Classic Quarter forums was the name was Snapcaster Mage. And spoiler alert: if you don't want to hear anything, earmuffs, because this card's amazing for classic. But if you're still there, um, it's Snapcaster Mage. It costs one and a blue. It is a two-one creature with flash. Which is awesome. Let's stop right there. It's already cool. It's playable and classic right now. Fish are everywhere. It's a fast card. You get it on the table. It pitches to force a will. It's, you know, it's probably not going to be main deckable just because of that. But this next ability just puts it over the top. When Snapcaster Mage enters play, target instant or sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback. The flashback cost is equal to its mana cost. So, I'll tell you why I love it in a minute. What do you think about this card, Andy?
0: It just seems absolutely amazing. We talked about it before we recorded it, and the applications for this, especially in an environment with some really powerful cards, to flash flashback is just ridiculous. Absolutely crazy. And like you say... As well as being able to beat down, um, it pitches to Force of Will, which is never a bad thing. Um, but we'll we'll talk about how how the interactions of this card with the graveyard in terms of powerful cards to flash back are really going to push it over the edge.
1: Yeah, and you know, one of the things I'm reconsidering, uh, the more I read this, the more I think it's the other way. I do think you can play cards like Mental Misstep. So just for a second, think of how amazing Mental Misstep is proving itself to be. The flashback cost equals its mana cost. Now, Mental ups mana cost is the Phyrexian symbol, so it's still the same mana cost. Okay? But, my initial impressions were we could get back Force of Will and Gush. And, the flashback cost equals its mana cost tells me that is not a valid play. But, that doesn't mean a damn thing. This card's so powerful, it's ridiculous. You got stuff like Demonic Tutor, Vampire Tutor. Um, a card that no one plays anymore is demonic consultation. Um, there are just so many applications. Brainstorm. Um, I don't even know. I mean, there's just too many sorceries and incense. That the big difference between classic and legacy is we're very spell driven. Right now, we're kind of shifting towards a, a creature driven format, but historically, we're very spell driven and to have access a second time to any sorcery or instant card that might have been countered, might have been discarded, might have been used great the first time, but you want to use it again. It's amazing. I'm super amped.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you get your Yagmoth's Will discarded early on, and and you need that as part of a storm combo, or you're, you know, just wanting to re- get a bit of recursion going, yeah, there's other ways of getting cards back, like Noxious Revival or Reclaim, or Regrowth, but... Um, the other advantages of this, being able to beat in or, or f- sack to force a will, make, make it a really viable way of, of bringing back those, those, those cards that are going to enable you to go busted in the turn.
1: Yeah, and you know some of the other parts about this card is, and this is kind of what makes it so different than other cards. I was thinking about this, and I really hadn't talked to anybody about it yet, but I guess now's a good time. You can literally throw this into a Storm deck, even after Sideboard, and at its very worst, you can replay Dark, of Rid- Dark Ritual for zero mana and an extra storm count. That's at the very worst. At its best, you can play some of your most broken spells. You can generate a ton of mana. Use your tendrils early. Y- having one tendrils means so much less now. I mean, who cares? You can play it again, even without Yawg will it's, it's so cool. It's, it's an awesome card, and... I- I, I honestly think it will see play in at least Legacy, um, in some kind of deck. Someone will will make a way to play this, and I definitely think you know the main thing they were talking about it in the video was in Standard playing cards like Preordain, which is so popular right now. Over again, is a big deal,
0: and it's gonna. Potentially be huge in, in Vintage um, The ability to replay uh, Ancestral Ancestral's Recall Or
1: Time Walk is huge Oh yeah, it's no joke And, you know, that's, we only think of those two Because those are the spells that we don't have The ones that I mentioned already Demonic Tutor, Tinker Yog Will uh, Vampiric Tutor God, it's, it's, it's ridiculous For two mana I mean, this is not an expensive card, people
0: and it's rare, so hopefully it won't cost too much as opposed to if it was a Mythic.
1: Oh, this is... Yeah, I could... Yeah. This, you know, you know the closest thing I can think of would be like a Lotus Cobra. No idea why that was Mythic. Yeah. No,
0: it was just uh, Mythic for the sake of making Moxie money, I think, being the skeptic that I am. Yeah. So um, that's pretty much all of the content that we have there. Uh, have for you this week um, hopefully Zach will be, uh, George will be back with us uh, next week and uh, the league will keep rolling on and hopefully we'll get some daily events to fire um, but once again we'd like to thank uh, puremtgo.com for hosting us and mtgotraders.com for sponsoring us we welcome feedback on the podcast do you like the way we've changed it up um, give us any suggestions for classic relevant topics you want us to cover now, if there's any special guests you'd like us to see um, let us know and we'll do our best to try and get them on Um, You can contact us um, via Twitter or via email with our relative details um, in the article below.
1: And uh, that's everything, guys. So we'll, uh, we'll see you in seven. See you in seven, guys. Keep playing those spells, man. See you soon.